Joel chapter 2, verse number 18, and it reads as follows. Then will the Lord be jealous for his land and pity his people. Yea, the Lord will answer and say unto his people, Behold, I will send you corn and wine and oil, and ye shall be satisfied therewith, and I will no more make you a reproach among the heathen. But I will remove far off from you the northern army and will drive him into a land of barren and desolate with his face toward the east sea and his hinder part toward the utmost sea and his stink shall come up and his ill savor shall come up he, because he hath done great things. Fear not, O land. Be glad and rejoice for the Lord will do great things. Be not afraid, ye beasts of the field. For the pastures of the wilderness do spring for the tree beareth her fruit. The fig tree and the vine do yield their strength. Be glad then, ye children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he hath given you the former rain moderately, and he will cause to come down for you the rain, the former rain, and the latter rain in the first month. And the floors shall be full of wheat, and the vats overflow with wine and oil. And I will restore to you the years that the locust hath eaten, the, can the canker worm, the caterpillar, and the palmer worm, and my great army which was sent among you. And ye shall eat in plenty, and be satisfied, and praise the name of the Lord your God, that hath dealt wondrously with you, and my people shall never be ashamed. And ye shall know that I am in the midst of Israel, and that I am the Lord your God, and none else. And my people shall never be ashamed. And it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. And also upon servants and upon handmaids in those days will I pour out my spirit. And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in the Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance, as the Lord hath said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. Let's pray before we look at these verses here. Dear God, thank you for your word, the Bible, that we have to study, to learn from, to educate us, to teach us, to give us our lessons that we need for our lives. Be the now as I try to teach those lessons, to teach your words right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Continue with our study of the book of Joel. In case you've missed our series on the book of Joel, Joel can be summed up in the following sentence, right? What does Joel talk about? He talks about this fact, that God is sovereign. God is sovereign. God's in control. God's all-powerful. A reminder for Israel way back when, when he was talking, and a reminder for us today, that still today, God is powerful. God is sovereign. God is in charge. Joel explained this through his prophecy in a couple ways. First, showing God's power in terms of natural disasters. Right? We read about the disasters that faced Israel. The plague of locusts that, that attacked the land. Horrible drought. Right? These things are a reminder. Right? These so-called acts of God. Right? A reminder of how powerless we humans are in the face of God's creation, that we are nothing when the natural disaster comes. And we're seeing tons in the news recently, right, with all the wildfires, right? Despite all our technology and all our know-how and all the advancements humans have come through over the years, there's nothing you can do when that wildfire is raging toward your house, is there? All we can do is pray for mercy and run for our lives, right? That's all we can do. And we see it all throughout the state right now. Reminders of God's awesome power, God's awesome control 
over everything, over the elements, over us, over you name it. God is more powerful than that. So we are running through all that kind of stuff. And a reminder also that God's power doesn't just stretch to stuff way back in the days of Joel, but through today and through the end of time. We talked about God's power when we studied the start of chapter 2 during the day of the Lord. We know the day of the Lord when Jesus comes back. We know that Jesus hasn't come back yet, right? Hasn't happened. That's something in the future. But all throughout this time, we'll still see God's power manifest. A reminder to us all. Because we're living in that time, are we not? We're living in that time in between when Joel spoke and in between the day when Jesus comes back. That's us. That's where we're living in right now. And we have that self-same duty. That self-same knowledge that we have to have. That God is sovereign. Last time in our study of chapter 2, we looked at the big therefore statement in verse number 12. The big change statement, right? So all this stuff is where they're going wrong and where the judgment is coming. What do we do? In verse 12, we said a therefore, right? The Lord, that, what do we need to do? Turn, turn ye even to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and with mourning, and rend your heart and not your garments, and turn to the Lord. The call to repentance, but not just any kind of repentance, real repentance. That's what we talked about last time, right? It's not just one act, right? It's not just rend your garments and, oh, that's it, I'm forgiven. It's not just one word, oh, God, I'm sorry for my sins, right? I mean, it's not just that. That's not the repentance that he was looking for from Israel back then, right? It's not just, oh, for one minute. I feel bad about the sin I did. I feel bad about worshiping idols. I feel bad about doing all these bad things. That's not what he's looking for. He's looking for a true repentance before he would, you know, bring his mercy upon this country, right? Right? Gives examples, right? With all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning, a sincere apology, right? Not just a phony baloney apology. And like we said, we talked about how today, a lot of times when, you chat, when people get caught doing something wrong, they have their publicists, their lawyers, whoever, write them up a phony baloney apology. We know it's all fake, right? They're saying it to protect their interests or whatever. Is it real change? We don't know until we see their behavior, right? And that's what God was looking for from Israel. We know from history, we know from history, their behavior did not change, right? No, from history, it was true that God's judgment did come to them because even though sometimes when something went bad, they might go, oh, it's time to pray to God. And we know later on, forgot all about God. They didn't care about God anymore. Went back to worshiping idols. Went back to falling into sin. That's not the repentance that God was looking for from Israel. And it's also not the repentance that he's looking for from us, right? Obviously, we can turn to him and get salvation by repenting just with a simple act, right? But we know that we continue to sin after that. And by then, we know, just like how Israel knew. Remember, Israel, they should know, right? They were God's chosen people. They knew that we were chosen by God. Now we got to cut that out, cut those things out of our lives the best we can. 
Likewise, now we've been chosen. We've accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior. Are we going to cut all that sin out of our life the best we can? Or are we going to fall back into it and then have to come to him for repentance and come and say sorry and all those type of things? And when we do that, are we earnest about it? Is it just I'm saying sorry for the sake of saying sorry? Or is it a true sorry that God, I know I've done wrong and I'm going to try not to do that again? That ought to be the goal for all of us, right? All of us, we should know better. Just like Israel should have known better, right? All of us, we have Jesus Christ as our Savior. Do we know better? Do we really repent? Hopefully the answer is yes. And is it lived out in our life? Not just the word. Not just, oh, God, I stole something. Oh, sorry, I'll steal again tomorrow. And I'll say sorry again tomorrow. It's no, I'm never going to steal again. No, I'm never going to lie again. Or I'll try my best not to, right? I'm never going to do whatever it is. I'm never going to cheat again. Never going to fight again. Never going to swear again. Never do whatever it is again because I know what is right. That is the repentance that God looks for from people of Israel and from us today. Now, what is the result of that repentance, that repentant heart? We read about it in today's verses. In today's verses, we highlight God's restoration. If Israel were to repent, this is God's promise toward them, right? You repent, real repentance, real turning away from sin. 18, the Lord will be jealous for his land and pity his people. How so? 19, they're going to get corn, wine, oil, all these things, right? What's going to happen to all those invaders in their country? Verse 20, I will remove far off from you the northern army and drive them off into a barren and desolate land, right? How will you feel? Verse 21, you'll be glad and rejoice with the Lord, right? Verse 22, all your trees are going to go, you know, bear fruit and vines are going to bear fruit, right? Verse 23, What's going to happen before there's drought, right? Now, it'll rain moderately, right? That's 23. Verse 24, right? Before when there was drought, there was no food. Now what's going to happen? The floor shall be full of wheat and overflow. That's how much they're going to get. Not just get some wheat. It's going to overflow with food. Don't worry about drought anymore. Remember those locusts? What does it say about verse 25? He will restore the years that the locust has eaten and the canker worm and the caterpillar and the palmer worm. All that will be restored. So that 26, they will eat in plenty. They will have plenty, right? Why is that? This is way, God's way of showing, 27, that I am the Lord your God and none else, right? I'm the Lord your God. I'm going to restore you, he says. And restore you everything, all that you had lost through the wars, through the drought, through the locusts, through everything. I'll give you all that back. And even more so, 28, not just physical restoration, 28, spiritual restoration. I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. To who? Who's going to get the blessings of God's spirit? Your sons and your daughters, your old men, your young men, the servants, the handmaids. I will pour out my spirits. Answer, everybody. 
Doesn't matter if you're male, female, young, old, servant, master. God's blessing would be for everyone if this country repents. He will show us, right? 30. Wonders in the heavens, right? And all these things. And he talks about what? When will this happen? 31, 31. When the sun turns into darkness and the moon into blood. When is that? Before the great and the terrible, the day of the Lord come. And this is consistent with stuff we see in Revelation. Again, we won't talk too much in detail about the day of the Lord. That goes beyond our subject matter here, though we'll keep coming up. But the idea is that sometime in the future, this restoration is coming, right? That Israel will repent. And we know that it's in prophecy, right? That after all, all the bad stuff happens and everything, in the end, we'll turn back to God, God's people. They'll turn back to him. How simple is it? Verse 32, and it shall come to pass that whatsoever, that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. It starts with faith, doesn't it? He sang it back then, way back in the Old Testament, right? People say, well, how is this relevant to us today? Because it has important stuff like this about salvation. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be delivered. Just like Romans 10, 13, right? For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's how they got saved back then. That's how we get saved now. And when that true repentance comes later on, when God restores all of Israel and gives them all these blessings back, it will be because people call upon the name of the Lord for that same deliverance. All this is a reminder of God's power. It all fits perfectly into Joel's theme of God's sovereignty. Just as God can destroy, God can bless. How much can God bless? More than you can imagine, right? He could give everything back. All they took away, he says he can give it back, just like that. And we've seen it before in other Bible stories, right? Look at like Job, right? He lost a lot of stuff in the end. God gave him back. God gave him back even more, right? God's powerful. God's in control. But we have to turn to him. God gives us all physical things, right? And we've read a lot about these physical things, right? That earthly things, right? About the corn and the oil and all those things. God can bless. But God also bless spiritually, right? To pour out his spirit on us. Is that not true even today? That we have the Holy Spirit with us. What a blessing. What a blessing it is that we can say, I have Jesus in my heart. That wherever I go, God is with me. That's how powerful he is. You can be alone on a desert island. You're not alone. God's with you right here. That's the power of God. That's the sovereignty of God. He's everywhere. He's with all of us, all of his children. All that have called upon his name. That's how powerful he is also. That by that simple act, calling out to him for salvation, that he can forgive our sins, that he can forgive all our wrongdoing. Just like that. Just like that. Say, that that sounds too easy. Yeah, it does sound too easy. Why can it be easy? Because nothing's too easy for God. When you're all-powerful, almighty, Nothing is hard. Nothing is easy. You're just God. You do it. You want it that way. It happens. God is sovereign even when it comes to 
blessings. We've seen God sovereign as to all these disasters and bad stuff. He's also powerful when it comes to blessing and good stuff. But once again, Israel forgot that. They didn't realize that I can just turn back to God and all these problems will be solved. They didn't think that way. And sadly, people today have that same fear. That same fear. That, oh, God can't take care of me. Right? I need to worry about all my problems and figure it all out myself. Instead of relying on God how it should be. And I myself am equally as guilty of this as probably all of you guys, right? Because we think and worry about probably the same things. I worry about the same things that you guys probably worry about, right? And get caught up in the same things instead of relying on God to carry through. I think the number one thing that most of us, you know, most people here, unless, you know, there's people I don't know about who are secret millionaires or whatever, most of us worry about things like money, and finances, and of course, as you, the older you get, the more you have to worry about, right? You know, you college people probably worry less about it, right? You just worry about how I pay my tuition, right? Where's my rent checks for my, uh, for my uh, apartment or whatever. But when you get older, you think about, you know, not only where I'm gonna live, I got my family, got my car payments, gotta pay off my student loans, gotta pay off, uh, you know, pay for food and clothes and this and that. You worry about it all the time. That's what most people are, I think, concerned about, worry about, stress out a lot about, always concerned. Like, oh, do you make sure I have enough money, right? If I don't, you get really nervous, right? Like, oh, is it gonna be okay, right? Like, for example, when I recently started this, my, my, a new job just a couple months ago, a lot of people asked me like, oh, you're switching jobs now? Are you going to take like some time off between your jobs, right? Like take a month off and go relax or go on vacation and this and that. And then you know, I thought about it and I said, you know, no, you know, basically between one job and the next job, I took a grand total of one day off, right? That was my big break between jobs. I took only one day off. Why is that? Because, you know, I said, well, I don't want to, if I take a one month off, that means for one month, I don't get paid, right? I don't get any money. Oh, I'd rather have, you know, uninterrupted pay to make sure I can keep current on all my bills and make sure I have money. Don't have to worry about it, right? So yes, I could have had a one month sitting around doing nothing and relaxing. But you know what? I said, I'd just rather just Make sure I keep having money, right? I play it safe, right? Make sure we have enough. And a lot of you guys probably worry the same way. Probably, even though you might be financially secure or whatever, you always worry, like, oh, what happens if something happens, right? And we always think about, oh, okay, save. There's emergency or something like that, right? Or there's a problem. You always are thinking about that. And that becomes our focus in life. And perhaps the wrong focus. Right? There's this guy I know. He's got tons of money, right? He's got this big house in Millbrae and drives fancy cars. He's some vice president at some huge bank. But he told me this one time. He's, but he's also very passionate about God, right? And he serves his church. And one time I heard him give like a sharing message about it, right? And he said, you know what? You guys know I've got all these things, like the fancy house and all these things. And, all the money. and he said this. He says, you know what, though? If God told me to give it up, Give it all up, all the money and the house and everything like that. He said, I would, right? 
you know, and all of us were like, whoa, you know, you got all this stuff. He says, if God told me to give it up, I definitely would. Now, who knows if that's true or not? You can say that, right? And, you know, it's easy to proclaim when he has everything, right? But that's the kind of attitude that he had that really, like, jumped out at me. That this guy, he's got tons of material stuff. He says, I don't care. Take it away, God. You know, it's more important for me to follow you. And, you know, we've actually seen that illustrated in some people's lives. Some people that we've seen come through these very doors. And those are missionaries. I don't know if you guys had a chance to talk to a lot of them. You know, not just hear their messages, but afterwards when we meet up and talk to them and hear about their lives. Some of them, that's literally what they did. They could have lived here and have comfort, money, save up for their kids, their family, and all these things. They said, you know what? I'm going to throw caution in the wind. I need to serve God. I'm moving to China. How are you going to get money in China? They don't know. They're going to depend on God. Hopefully some nice people, like Chinese Bible Church, will send them some money every month, right? Or other people will fund them, right? You can say they have a job, they're working at a school, but we, let's be honest, they're not really working at the school, right? The school is not a profit enterprise. They're not there to make money. It's like our Chinese school. Do we, do we make profits off of our Chinese school? We all know the answer. There's no profits to be made in Chinese school. It would not be self-sustaining if it wasn't for all of us that put money in the offering that make sure the Chinese school runs and all that stuff. Same thing with our missionaries. They're not making big money off Chinese school, the, the, the English school in China, right? They're there to get people to sign up to school to teach them about Jesus Christ, right? So they can't make it like crazy expensive and elite or whatever. No, they make it open for all to share that message. They live by faith, truly, truly living by faith that wherever the money comes from is where the money comes from. And they don't worry about, oh, because I ask them, like, you worry if you go to live in China, you, your kids, like, they have to live in all this pollution and stuff like that. They said, yeah, you know, that's part of it. But, you know, we do what we can, right? We work around it. We give, try to give our kids the best life they can, right? And it's important that we teach them up in God. That's more important than anything else. That's their attitude. They're not worried about, where's my next paycheck coming from? Can I make sure my kids have the, the coolest new uh, computer so they do great in school or the, the best clothes or whatever? That's not their priority. Boy, could we say that about our lives? Like I said, I, I fall in that same trap to go on the complete opposite thought, right? That I don't say, ah, I don't care about money. I'm just going to do everything for God, right? But we should. Shouldn't we? Shouldn't we trust in God? God's promise throughout history. Come to him with a repentant heart, a loving heart. He'll take care of you. He'll make sure you have blessing. He'll make sure you have heaven. He'll make sure you have all the riches you need. Doesn't mean you're going to be like a millionaire or whatever, right? But we know that God cares for us. That we know that we turn to him. We won't starve. We won't be hungry. We won't be whatever, right? Can we have that reliance on him? A lot of times it comes to things like flyer passing. A lot of times, why don't we go flyer passing? Because we're worried. We're scared, right? Oh, I need to save those vacation days. That's how I feel. Why, why don't I go most of the times? I've always had that thought. Oh, I need these vacation days or something, right? Right? I can't just burn my vacation days in this. And it's not because I go on vacation. You guys know me. I don't go on long vacation ever. I need it in case my kids get sick. I need to take my car into the shop or whatever or something like that. 
something comes up and you know I need to use this time or whatever and this and that and the other thing, all these things that come up in life, it's good to have a few vacation days lying around, right? You don't want to burn them all. And yes, every once in a while you do actually take vacation too, right? But you get scared about that. Oh, burn my vacation days. Do I want to burn vacation days? Go fire past it. That's a tough call, isn't it, right? But you know what? Maybe we should. Maybe that's right. Can we trust in God that God's going to come through? We don't have to worry about, oh, I'm going to get this vacation day back. I'm going to get this money back or whatever, right? Trust in God. He's going to take care of us. He's delivered. When it comes to putting money in the offering plate, we're doing our budget every month and calculating. Where's all the money going? Oh, but hey, can we trust in God and say, you know what? I'm following you. I'm putting that money in. We know that God's going to take care of us. God's going to provide for us. That's God. That's the way he does it. Think about it this way. A lot of people ask me as a parent, they ask me, you know, how much money does it spend you to take care of these kids or whatever, right? And I tell them all the money I spend on my kids or whatever. It says, oh, Norman, I will never be a parent because it costs so much money. There's no way I can afford that many thousands of dollars a month to take care of a kid like how you're doing. And I tell them, you know what? This is a true statement. No parent has ever told me I went bankrupt because I had kids. Right? No one. You guys all know parents. No one ever said, oh, I had a kid and I went bankrupt. Guess what? Parents find a way to take care of their kids. Whatever it is. They sacrifice, they do this, do that. The kids get taken care of. If earthly parents can do that, can our heavenly father do that? Oh yeah, certainly. Your heavenly father is not going to let you starve or go bankrupt or whatever or have no clothes or no shelter. Our God's going to take care of us. Do we have faith in him to do that? He's all-powerful. He promises restoration. He promises everything. We need to put our faith in him and say, you know, we don't worry about it. God, you're going to take care of it. Let's pray right now and end up with a little overtime, right? Dear God, thank you for your lesson here about how powerful you are in terms of blessing too. You're in control. You can bless us with whatever. Provide all of our needs just like that. You can provide us salvation in heaven and all these great things. Are we going to trust in you, God? I sure hope so. I hope these people here would trust in you and not worry and get too much worked up and stressed out and always focused on, oh, I got to get money or I got to take care of this and that. Instead, trust in you, God. Have you care for us? Have you take care of us? We're so thankful that you bless us like that. Praise things in Jesus' name. Amen.